Welcome to Proven and Probable. Today we're going to focus on a gold exploration company located in Saskatchewan, Canada, which has six projects strategically located along the Trans-Hudson Corridor, which is just an absolute wonderful environment for discoveries. Before we begin, as always, I would appreciate if you click the subscribe button and click the bell. Now, on to today's interview. Joining us for a conversation is Tim Termundi of Taiga Gold. Mr. Termundi, welcome to the show, sir. Very good to be here, Marisa. It's the first time for me, and I'm excited to tell our story. All right. Well, glad to have you on the program, sir, to share the value proposition before us in Taiga Gold. We have lots of ground to cover today. Before we begin, Mr. Tamundi, please introduce us to Taiga Gold and what is the unique opportunity the company presents to the market. Uh, Taiga Gold is a new company. It's only been around uh, about two years. Um, our flagship property is the Fisher property uh, located in Saskatchewan. All our projects are located in Saskatchewan. And uh, we feel that uh, due to the nature of Saskatchewan, it's very underexplored, yet very high geological potential. We think we have a good chance to uh, enhance shareholder value. To truly appreciate the opportunity before us, I believe it is paramount to understand the genesis of Tiger Gold, which is a spin-out of Eagle Plains that has a lineage of rewarding shareholders with multi-baggers. Mr. Tamundi, share with us the history of Tiger Gold and what is the relationship with Eagle Plains? Okay, uh, yeah, it actually goes back almost almost 30 years. Uh, Eagle Plains was, was founded by my father and I in, in 1992 um, and listed on the what was in the Alberta Stock Exchange in 1995. So... We've been around as a public company, Eagle Plains as a public company, for, for over 25 years. Um, Eagle Plains is a, is a prospect generator, um, so we, we have a basket of projects that we, uh, we work on uh, on a regular basis. We do co constant research and acquisitions, and, and what we do is when we get a project that sort of takes a life of its own or, or sort of rises above all the rest of the projects, um, we find that that... that the rest of the projects kind of get eclipsed or they sit in the shadow of, of this flagship property that, that's sort of been developed by us or by a partner, with a partner. And so what we what we do uh, about every three or four years is spin out that project into a separate company and basically dividend our shareholders' shares in this new company. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting and, and kind of a different approach because we're taking a perfectly healthy company with a great project and getting rid of it. Uh, but we, we we transfer that benefit directly to our shareholders. We've done that a few times over the years through Eagle Plains. Our most successful spin-out was Copper Canyon Resources, which in 2011 was uh, taken out in a in a hostile, turn-friendly merger with Nova Gold Resources. And our shareholders benefited about $65 million on that transaction. So we've done it in the past. Uh, we found uh, when we were working on Fisher and, and got a good deal uh, with our partners on Fisher, that the same thing was happening. The Fisher project was clearly rising above all the rest. So we said, okay, now it's time. We spun out Fisher into a new company called Taiga. Uh, we also took a number of projects that were in the Fisher area and put them in Taiga. So it was basically a way of, of directly benefiting our shareholders. In the meantime, Eagle Plains uh, keeps doing what it's doing. We are constantly acquiring projects, constantly working on them, waiting for the next one to rise above. From a 30,000-foot level, take us to northern Saskatchewan, where the company has strategically acquired six projects located along the Trans-Hudson Corridor, which is just an absolute wonderful environment for discoveries. For those of us that are not familiar with the Trans-Hudson Corridor, please tell us about the region and why it is the focus of your project portfolio. Yeah, uh, it, it, it basically, the, the geology of the Trans-Hudson Corridor, it's actually, it's actually an orogenic belt that has... Uh, 
that has very similar rocks to uh, other belts of this type in, in other places in Canada, right, namely the Red Lake District in Ontario and the Abitibi Belt in, in Quebec. Uh, what's different about the Trans-Hudson Corridor is that it has had very, very little exploration um, over the years. I, I think the uh, Fiatali up uh, 2018, for example, in Quebec, there was almost $500 million in mineral exploration. In Ontario, almost $600 million, yet just over $150 million in Saskatchewan, in, in the same kind of perspective rocks. So uh, that, that belt of rocks hosts a number of gold mines, despite its relative lack of exploration, hosts the McClellan Gold Mine, the Snow Lake Gold Mine, the CB Gold Mine, which we are very closely associated with, and the biggest in that uh, package is the Homestake Gold Mine located in South Dakota. It's within that same belt. The Homestake uh, Mine is over 40 million ounces and was one of the biggest gold deposits in North America. Um, so what's also interesting about the, the Trans-Hudson Corridor is most of it is undercover. Um, it, once you get north of uh, South Dakota, you get into grasslands that extend all the way up into central uh, Saskatchewan. So it is only when you come out of the prairie fields of, of uh, Saskatchewan that the Trans-Hudson rocks become exposed again. And in areas that have had exploration, which are still relatively few in this area, there has been uh, fantastic discoveries made. And we we plan on being uh, involved in, in the next one with any luck. Closing in at the 10,000-foot level, take us through Taiga's project portfolio, beginning with your flagship Fisher project, which, in my opinion, is in the right place at the right time. Sir, please acquaint us with the Fisher project and the potential before us. All right. Yeah, the Fisher project, the history of Fisher goes back, actually, to 2012. Uh, Eagle Plains was doing what it does, doing our, our research, and, and uh, we'd, we'd been notified by the Saskatchewan government, which is which is quite progressive right now, that that they were going to a map staking system, which means you don't have to go out there with field crews in helicopters or float planes and cut down trees and flag lines. And, and it's all very expensive. Uh, map staking is, is a much more cost effective way to acquire tenure. And it's it's certainty of tenure too. the first people into stake online, get the ground. So we basically knew they gave us a date when map staking was coming online. Uh, uh, we basically were planning for it for a couple of months ahead. Um, one month before the staking date, we locked a couple of geologists in the basement and told them to research everything you could see in Saskatchewan, go through all the old reports, find an area that we want to stake on opening day. And they came up with the area just south of the Santoy deposit um, as, as a number one priority staking target. So uh, on opening day, uh, we were ready for it. We staked it. We, we, we were successful in acquiring the ground we wanted. And it turned out that our, our property boundary um, butted right up against Claude Resources, who at the time owned the, the CBN Santoy deposits. Uh, we were able to stake within a kilometer and a half of the actual decline of the Santoy. So we were very, very happy with that. And we worked on that property for a couple of years with, with Eagle Plains. And then uh, in 2015, uh, Silver Standard Resources took over Claude Resources on an on a all-stock deal that was uh, $350 million dollars. But what uh, what Silver Standard was after was basically the the CB mill, the uh, Santoy deposit, and and the ground ar around it and in between it as an exploration uh, project. 
Um, it wasn't long after the ink dried on the deal with uh, between Silver Standard and Claude that we were in negotiations with Silver Standard on our Fisher property. They they really wanted our Fisher ground. They made it very clear when we were negotiating, and they've been on the property ever since. So we've had great partners in in Silver Standard. They they changed their name to SSR Mining a couple of years ago, so now it's SSR. But they have been aggressively exploring the Fisher property now for four years. They've spent uh, over. $10 million exploring the property. Uh, we're very, very bullish on that. Um, we've also got other projects in the area that have a lot of geological uh, similarity to that. But the Fisher is clearly the flagship property. And our, our hope in the end is that uh, SSR will, will have exploration success uh, enough to warrant taking out Taiga as a whole. And, and that's sort of what we've planned all along. That's normally what we plan with our spin-outs. They're built to be bought, and uh, we hope that Tyga is, is one of those in a, in a chain of them. Yeah, speaking of SSR, there's a red line that begins on their property and extends to the middle of the Fisher Project. What does that red line represent, and how may this significantly increase the value of the Fisher Project? Yeah, the red line is, is actually the Santoy Shear. Um, it was discovered in, in the mid-90s. Uh, they were mining at the CB deposit, which is directly... Uh, beneath or around the CB mill. So they were mining the CB. Um, they were also exploring the rest of the property. And, and there was a big fire year, I think, I think in 1995 or 1994. And, and what these fires did is exposed a whole bunch of outcrop that normally you wouldn't get to without trenching and other expensive uh, procedures there. But the forest fires exposed mineralization that in the end turned out to be a deposit and it's right along the Santoy Shear. So they are mining the Santoy Shear. It runs roughly north-south and uh, it uh, since since SSR has started working on the Fisher property, they've actually traced the shear through the entire length of our property. Uh, roughly 25 kilometers now of Santoy Shear goes through the Fisher property and it's that shear that is uh, that is the focus of exploration for, for SSR in the past and going forward in the future. If uh, we're looking at the map here, we move to the right of the Santoy Shear. There's a, a black dotted line coming through, and it's a fault. Can you tell us about that fault and why all of our, your projects are strategically aligned along that fault? Yeah, that fault's called the Tabiner Fault Structure, and it's a major regional structure. It goes uh, uh, over 1,000 kilometers. In fact, the Tabiner Structure does reach all the way down into South Dakota, and um, exploration in the past, now so far, in, in our neck of the woods anyway, has shown that the tabiner seems to be sort of a trunk or a root structure, and it splays off the tabiner that are the focus of mineralization. So that the Santoy shear is a splay off the tabiner, the CB shear is a splay off the tabiner. Um, so all of our projects in that area, the Fisher, the Chico, the Orchid, uh, the Leland, are focused on splays or shears that we believe are linked to the tabiner structure and all have sort of the same genetic model um, as as what's being mined now at the Santoy and, the, and historically mined at the CB deposit. And going back to the Fisher project, can you provide us an overview of the genetic model that has Taika Gold uh, basically in full confidence that this may be the next multi-bagger spin-out from Eagle Plains? Yeah, well... Um, we, we see we see that the, the Santoy Shear is essentially the structure that is that is being mined. Uh, we now know we didn't know when we staked it. We we hoped um, that it continued through our property. It's now been confirmed by mapping and ex, uh, an exploration by by uh, SSR and drilling to some point that this shear is present. Um, it is clearly a, a, a very strong exploration target. Um, 
and and that's basically the focus of our exploration at Fisher and, and their exploration as well. You know, the Fisher Project is a brownfields play that has uh, some neighbors that are heavily invested in the region who have also had some drill success near your property. Who are they and how do they fit into the narrative? Yeah, um, the neighbors are SSR. Um, they are basically exploring at their risk and their cost to earn an interest in our property. Um, they have uh, been working away at it for years now, since 2015. Um, but the last year, uh, they actually this year, in early 2000, or 2020, I mean, they uh, did a drill program that targeted six different areas of, of the Fisher property. Uh, they were only able to get to four of the six target areas. And in three of the four target areas, they inter intercepted uh, very, very significant mineralization. So three out of four targets hit in the last program. The other two targets they have not been able to get to yet uh, uh, for various reasons. One is COVID. Another is uh, there were poor uh, uh, freeze-up conditions last winter. So those targets remain high-priority targets that uh, we, are, we understand that uh, SSR will be tackling in the near future. And again, for us, and it's very important to remember, um, exploration is a very risky business. Uh, you, you do have to kiss a lot of frogs, trust me, in this business. <laughs> Having another company uh, spending that much money on our property that is absolutely non-dilutive to us from a capital st standpoint is as good as it gets for us. And leaving the Fisher, Tiger has four more McData, five more as of this week, projects in their property portfolio. What would you like to share with us about them, respectively? <laughs> Yeah, each one of our each one of our other projects has a genetic similarity or a geologic similarity. They are all uh, structurally hosted uh, gold targets. Um, all of the targets have uh, high grade mineralization documented in the past. Um, there there has been very little exploration in Saskatchewan, so we we feel that a lot of these targets have have very good potential, and and ultimately we would like to think that they may be attractive to SSR in the future as well. So we are working these projects uh, at various stages right now, um, but yeah, they all share the same uh, they all share the same target model in that they are structurally related gold targets. What type of activity is actively being conducted on your projects at the moment? Fisher is going to see more exploration in Q4. Uh, SSR is planning a 3,000-meter program um, on Fisher. Uh, we also have an option partner in our Leland project, and they are planning a program this year. Uh, the Chico property is currently um, being set a standstill right now, but that is optioned to Abin Resources, so we expect more work in the future on that. Um, two other projects we have, the Orchid and the recently acquired Mary property, uh, Mary Lake property. Uh, we are planning programs on those this year. Uh, we just haven't got firm uh, budgets in place yet, but we will be on those projects to see what we have. Let's discuss some important topics germane to the projects. Are your projects 100% owned or do they have any reversionary interests? Uh, all of our projects are 100% owned. Uh, a couple of them are optioned now. As I mentioned, the Fisher's optioned, the Leland's optioned, and the Chico is optioned off. Um, all of the projects that we do own 100%, there maybe are one or two claims within these packages that have a, a, a small underlying NSR, a 1% or 2% NSR. Um, those are claims that we had to purchase from another prospector or do deals with uh, other staking groups to consolidate these projects. Uh, but overall, yes, 100% interest and 100% control at this point. Always good to hear. We're going to get into some numbers uh, later in this discussion, but uh, from a capital expenditure standpoint, how is the infrastructure on your projects? 
in Saskatchewan, it's it's very good actually. A lot of the projects are float plane access, um, which is which makes it quite easy to to get around. Uh, a couple of them have road access. Uh, the the entire um, CB mine operation, the CB gold operation, has never had a year round road. Uh, they have a winter road that they do their main hauling in, but over the over the other months of the year that the winter road isn't active, everything is done by air, either by float plane or by wheels uh occasionally we have helicopters used but for the most part it's float plane access um most of these projects also do have winter road access so if we get to the point where we have a major drill program or major camps to build or, or whatever we would we would uh certainly use the the winter road access option which is actually quite cost effective from an exploration point of view what is your relationship with the first nations Overall, I would say it's excellent. Um, most of the First Nations in northern Saskatchewan are very pro-development. Um, the road isn't without speed bumps. There, there is a group uh, around one of our projects, around the Chico project, that uh, there's a small group with, within that community that is opposed to development in that area. And that's, uh, that's a route we're, we're working on right now. We've been doing a lot of consultation. We feel we're making progress. Um, we, we, we'd like to think that's getting better and better. I'd say overall, our relations are, are excellent. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I do want to remind you, everything we're covering today with Mr. Tumundi, you can find in the description box below. And if you like our content, I would appreciate if you give us a thumbs up. Now, back to the interview. Are you fully permitted? Uh, depends on the project. Uh, the Fisher is fully permitted. The uh, Leland is permitted. The Orchid, we're waiting for a permit on. Um, most of our, our work at this stage is more grassroots. So for us to go in and do geophysical work or, or geological mapping or prospecting or soil sampling, the permitting uh, issues are, are uh, essentially minimal or non-existent. But yes, for the bigger programs that are, that are planning drill programs, yes, they're permitted. Is the ultimate goal for Taiga Gold to build a mine or discovery and then sell the projects? Uh, no, we, we are not mine builders. We're not uh, mining engineers. We're geological explorationists. Um, our goal is to, to find an economic deposit, uh, prove it um, as an economic deposit, and then sell it. Uh, it's a totally different skill set uh, for people to actually go into mining. I've seen it happen a lot of times that uh, exploration companies think they can become miners, and it really usually doesn't end very well. Yeah, certainly is a different skill set. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right. and we're not kidding ourselves about that. We're, you know, we we we're we're very excited about making discoveries, but also monetizing them through through a sale to actual miners that know what they're doing. We've discussed the good. Let's address the bad. What can go wrong, and what are your action plans to mitigate that wrong? Uh, well, I guess the world's seeing it right now. COVID nineteen has has been. A challenge for us. Um, it's actually slowed down exploration at Fisher because uh, in in mid March uh, they shut down the CB mine. SSR shut down the CB mine due to COVID restrictions, and because the CB mine is is uh, you know the hub of exploration for SSR in that area, uh, a lot of the work that they were planning to do on Fisher this summer got deferred and, until the mine reopens. They just announced a few days ago that the mine is reopening now, so it's getting back to business as usual. But we're also finding that uh, a lot of our projects are in or around First Nations communities, and a lot of those communities have locked right down. So, you know, much of our work when we go in would be off the, 
the float plane docks in the middle of one of these communities, then now that's very difficult to do. So we've had to sort of change our logistics to, you know, we'll fly in off a lake uh, along the road kind of thing. It just, it adds a little complexity and a little bit of cost, but that's certainly, a, you know, that's certainly something that can go wrong. Um, I mean, we could see the market uh, fall apart again. I mean, we spent the last nine years sort of, uh, struggling to keep everything going and keep all our people employed and to keep our offices open. Um, I don't think that's, I don't think we're coming out of this bear, uh, bull market anytime soon, but it's certainly something that we have to be aware of and, and we have to plan for in the event that it happens. Mm-hmm. Switching gears, let's discuss the people responsible for increasing shareholder value. Mr. Tamundi, please introduce us to your board of directors. Sure. Uh, myself, I'm, I'm the president and CEO. Um, I'll just say overall, too, uh, that our board is uh, of six directors we have on our board. Four of them are geologists or uh, geological uh, technicians or or geographical technicians. Um, We also have a uh, uh, a chartered accountant and a a lawyer on our board. So we've got a very geologically strong board with enough horsepower on the legal and financial side to get everything done. So, yeah, myself, I'm a a 35-year veteran. Of mineral exploration started with Cominco um, when I got out of university, uh, University of British Columbia in the late 80s. Uh, Chuck Downey's our VP exploration. Um, he and I actually worked together uh, with Cominco back back in the 80s. So we've worked together for just about 30 years or over 30 years actually. Uh, Chuck's the VPX. Uh, we've also got Paul Reynolds as a as a director. He's a geologist as well. Uh, again, 30, 33, 34 years of exploration experience and also. Uh, experience corporately. Uh, he's had a couple of successes on the corporate side, as well as successes on the exploration side. We've also got Jesse Campbell uh, as our COO. Um, Jesse actually runs TerraLogic Exploration, a consulting service that's uh, that's owned by Eagle Plains. Jesse's worked with us for 20-some years. Um, uh, also, Glenn DeDuke is our CFO. Um, he's he's an accountant by trade. Uh, I've worked with Glenn since the mid-90s. And also Darren Fawes, our, our corporate counsel and a director, and he's our lawyer uh, out of Calgary. So, again, very, very uh, skilled set of individuals with uh, collectively 120 years, uh, 150 years exploration experience and corporate experience on, on publicly traded companies. You have a proven pedigree of success. Tell us about Tim Termundi and what makes him qualified for the task at hand. Uh, I'd like to say I have a, have a PhD in the school of hard knocks. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a geological degree, a BSc, uh, but I've been involved with, uh, with uh, public companies uh, for over 25 years now. And I've, I've, seen, I've seen it all, I think. I've seen mergers. I've seen consolidations. I've seen uh, everything you can see. I've, I've ridden through three or four of these cycles now, bear market, bull market cycles. I think I can recognize them now. Uh, I think I know how to take advantage of either one. Um, you know, for a company like like us, like Tyga and Eagle Plains, which I'm president of both, um, we sort of see these bear market uh, downturns um, as opportunities too. So, you know, you have to be able to seize these opportunities in a bear market and uh, make hay in the bull markets. And, and again, we are in a bull market now. I think everybody would agree to that. Um, our whole board of directors, uh, again, with our experience, has seen those same cycles. We've been very successful in the past with Eagle Plains of delivering, you know, great returns to our shareholders. And I think, you know, we're we're basically poised to do that again. Who is on your management team and what skill sets do they bring to Tiger Gold? 
Uh, management is is Chuck Downey uh, uh, essentially, and and uh, Jesse Campbell as well. Um, we're all uh, very seasoned exploration people. Um, we have had a lot of experience now in in primarily in Western Canada. That's where we uh, that's where our primary operations are. We also have a couple of uh, uh, things going on in the Yukon and Northwest Territories, but essentially we are focused on on Saskatchewan. Uh, we are getting a very very good handle on the geology of Saskatchewan. We are getting a good handle on the politics and again the intricacies of working with First Nations and and the political situation there, and just knowing our way around as far as infrastructure goes and and logistics go. I mean all that experience pays off over time, and it for us we feel it's paying off now. Tell us about your technical team. Yeah, our technical work is actually run through TerraLogic, which, again, Jesse Campbell heads up TerraLogic. TerraLogic uh, uh, has a very, very strong geological uh, capability, um, very high tech. Um, most of the employees of TerraLogic <clears throat> are younger folks. Uh, unlike the Board of Eagle Plains, we're, we're mostly older, mid-50s and, and on. The, the average age of TerraLogic workers are probably 30 to 40. Um, and again, these people have been with TerraLogic a long time. We've got a very strong, uh, loyal group. And uh, Jared Brown, who, who's our chief geologist with TerraLogic, has been working in Saskatchewan for 15, maybe 20 years now. And again, he knows his way around very well. And, and Jared, uh, frankly, was, was instrumental in, in us getting a lot of the projects that are now in Taiga. Uh, so, yeah, I think we have a very strong technical group and, you know, poised to, uh, to move forward with that. All right, let's get into some numbers. Please share your capital structure. Yeah, we've got uh, roughly 80 million shares outstanding, um, uh, roughly 20 million uh, warrants that are currently in the money right now. Uh, that is a double-edged sword. Yes, there's an overhang on these warrants, but it also will be uh, generating a lot of cash to the company. So if these warrants get exercised, we would expect to see another 2 or $3 million come into the Treasury. How much cash and cash equivalents do you have? We have uh, roughly eight hundred and fifty thousand in cash and receivables, uh, roughly a hundred thousand in shares in other companies. Again, we've we mentioned that we have uh, optioned a couple of our projects, so with those option deals comes cash and shares to the company. So, uh, nine hundred thousand to a million in in treasury right now. How much debt do you have? We have zero debt. I always love to hear that one. Yeah. <laughs> what is your burn rate? Uh, our burn rate is a modest 33000 a month. Um, again, we are pretty lean and mean, and uh, everything's close to the bone. Who are the major shareholders, and what is their level of commitment? The largest shareholder in, uh, in Taiga right now is actually Eagle Plains. When we did the spin-out, we kept 19.9% of the shares of uh of Taiga in Eagle Plains. So Eagle Plains owns 12 million shares of the of the 80 million shares outstanding. Uh, other large shareholders, uh, myself, I'm the second largest shareholder. Uh, my father is the third largest shareholder. And then we've got uh, share. Uh, we've got groups like uh, Tech owns some shares, Nova Gold owns some shares. Uh, essentially, it's retail based. We don't have any institutional uh, investors. However, we actually Red Plug Capital participated in the last uh, last financing. Um, but uh, a lot of our shareholders, too, are long-term Eagle Plain shareholders because of the nature of the deal. When, mm -hmm. when we spun out Taiga, we did it on a one-for-two basis. So every uh, two shares of Eagle Plains uh, 
got one share of Taiga. So most of our shareholder base are Eagle Plain shareholders who have been with us for a long time, who appreciate what we're doing, who have uh, had the wins we've had in the past from these uh, spin-outs we've done. So uh, I consider those shares in fairly safe hands. What is the float? Uh, given uh, the, 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 the discussion that we just had earlier, I would say there's probably 20 to 30 million shares that are in float right now. The last financing we did, um, a lot of people participated that I had not known before, were not sort of part of our history. So, um, yeah, I would say 20 to 20 to 30 million. Well, that's always good to hear. Are there any redundant assets on the books that we should know about? Uh, not really, no. Again, it's a fairly new company, only two two years old, two and a half years old. Um, everything uh, Everything's out there that uh, I think would affect uh, our share price moving forward or our, our chance of success moving forward. Are there any change of control fees? And if yes, what is the compensation? Uh, a couple of our management contracts, myself included, has a uh, has a, uh, a a break fee or, or a change of control fee. Um, I rough I make roughly ninety six thousand a year. Um, I have a, a change of control of two years two years salary if that happens. One or two of the directors have a similar contract in place, but again, not an onerous amount of money if if it ever came to be. No, that certainly isn't. I'm, I'm used to hearing seven figures or something. <laughs> no, no. no we're, we're I was shocked much. when you just said that. Yes, okay. <laughs> All right. Is management charging a consultant fee for any services? Uh, myself, again, I, I run my uh, fees through a private contracting company. And again, that's 96000 a year. Um, other directors are mainly salaried. All of the salaries are well under 100000 a year. Most of the directors... Do not take any salary. Uh, myself, Mr. Downey, and, and Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Campbell are the only ones that regularly draw a salary. So again, the, and that's why our burn rate is so low. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. In closing, multi-layered question: What is the next unanswered question for Tiger Gold? When can we expect a response, and what determines success? Good question. Uh, the next unanswered question is: Is what lies beneath? Um, you know, all of our projects are, are grassroots, greenfields projects. Uh, they all need drilling. Um, all that drilling costs money. Um, we have uh, we have partners carrying the load on a couple of these projects. Again, the main one is the Fisher project. Ten million dollars in expenditures so far. Uh, we see that to continue. Uh, certainly in the next quarter, uh, they just uh, SSR just announced a three thousand meter program for Fisher uh, starting in mid September. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a loaded question, but it comes down to success at the drill bit. I mean, we can't guarantee that we're going to have a deposit. We are very confident, given we have so much of the Santoy shear on our property, uh, very little expiration on it. The expiration that has been done is starting to yield results now. Um, you know, some of the, some of the drill intercepts uh, that they had that we announced in May were actually, at, if they were on the Fisher, or sorry, on the, uh, CV Gold operation property, they would be considered ore grade intercepts. So they're they're starting to hit those on the Fisher property. Their stated goal now is to to target inferred resources. So as they uh, sort of develop these areas that they know are starting to shine, they will focus their drilling activity on those areas. In the past, they've been sort of picking away along this, the Santoy Shear, looking for hot spots. Mm-hmm. They've now found three hot spots. They will be focusing on those. While they continue to do exploration further to the south, uh, and, and, well, throughout the whole property. So, um, yeah, we're we're looking forward to that. Sir, what keeps you up at night that we don't know about? 
reading business emails just before bed, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's an aside. Uh, what concerns me a little bit is, uh, like I just mentioned, um, a lack of success at the drill bit. Um, I don't, you know, from what we've seen here in the, in the last round of drilling that, that uh, SSR has done in the Fisher, I, I see that as being unlikely right now. I am a little worried uh, that this COVID situation will will get worse. I mean, we haven't seen the second wave. We are already inconvenienced by the first wave. It has caused, uh, again, logistical challenges for us, uh, a little extra cost because of that. But if COVID gets much worse, um, you know, we will see a lot of the areas, uh, particularly remote areas, particularly areas that have native communities, clamping right down and that'll make it very difficult i think to you know to have meetings to get permits to to do anything i mean everything's been slowed down already if it gets worse uh for us it will in turn get worse mr tamandi last question what did i forget to ask uh how about why is uh, saskatchewan so underexplored because it is um you know given the the favorable geology that is very similar to large belts in elsewhere in Canada. Um, I think that would be a good one to, to dwell on. And uh, the short answer is Saskatchewan for years uh, had a socialist government from, from 1944 to 2003 over those, over those 60 years, uh, 40 or 50 of those years was, was a socialist government. Um, and they were very, you know, great if you were a civil servant or a farmer, but not so good if you were, uh, you know, an entrepreneur or, or a resource developer in the province. Um, for many of those years, the Saskatchewan government actually uh, uh, forced companies to joint venture with the government. So it was almost, uh, you know, bordering on a communist regime. <laughs> and, and it really drove away investment, uh, without a doubt. Um, even I, I talked to uh, Mike, uh, who's who's you're familiar with Mike Lebac. He said he yes. he grew up in Saskatchewan and he had to leave in the mid '80s because there was just no work. There was nothing going on there, and so it's you know it's it's a it's a symptom of of mostly political uh, reason for a lack of exploration in an extremely uh, high potential mineral belt. And the Saskatchewan party that's in there now is very very pro uh, they're a they're a central right government they're very very pro development uh saskatchewan government right now actually has an incentive program uh, for that part of northern saskatchewan where they will uh refund or rebate up to 25 percent of drilling costs so they have certainly shown that they are open for business uh, bringing on map staking uh, like they did in 2012 was a very very strong signal that they're open for business and uh frankly you know our experience is they're they're putting their money where their mouth is mr tamundi for someone listening that wants to get more information on taiga gold please share the website address yeah www.taigagold.com mr tamundi it's been an absolute delight to speak with you today wishing you and taiga gold the absolute best sir Tiger Gold trades on the CSE symbol TGC and on the OTC symbol TGGDF. Tiger Gold is a sponsor of Proven and Probable, and we are proud shareholders for the virtues conveyed in today's message. Before you make your next bullion purchase, make sure you call me. I'm a licensed representative to buy and sell physical precious metals through Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. We have several options to expand your precious metals portfolio from physical delivery of gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium to offshore depositories and precious metal IRAs. Give me a call at 855-505-1900 
or you may email maurice at milesfranklin.com. Finally, please subscribe to Proven and Probable for mining insights and bullion sales. Subscription is free. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.